Since we started this show almost a year ago, Where There's Smoke has always strived to use the stories around us, news, pop culture, sports, to help make a positive change within ourselves and our listeners. This means that we are constantly looking at the world around us and wondering what's really happening, looking to go beneath the what's of the world and think about the whys and the hows. That's right, Brett. And this week we had a very different show planned, but something happened that made us push that show back and start from scratch. Breaking overnight, a death in the music world. Legendary singer David Bowie died yesterday. He was 69 years old. Doctors diagnosed Bowie with cancer a year and a half ago, but he didn't want everyone to know about it. Now, I'm not a huge David Bowie fan. I can only name a very small number of his 25 albums. I can't quote any of his lines as the Goblin King in Labyrinth. I ask for so little. Just let me rule you. And you can have everything that you want. And I can only name a small number of his many alter egos. However, the moment I read the news that David Bowie had passed, I was just sad. Even without having that artist-fan relationship that many clearly had with him, it just felt so sudden and so wrong that he was gone. Yeah, and it was very similar for me. I mean, I don't own all of David Bowie's albums, and even when I was younger and listening to him more, I, I was... I was wearing out a CD of Changes, his greatest hits. I wasn't spinning Ziggy Stardust or Hunky Dory. So, you know, I won't say that I've been an active, huge David Bowie fan, but I am a music fan. His music has been present in every decade of my life. And when he died, I felt a loss in my world. So what is it? What is it about David Bowie that resonates with both of us and with millions around the world. I mean, we might argue that we don't really know David Bowie that well. Some say that he was a very private person. He even kept his illness a secret from the public. On top of this distance to him, David Bowie also created a series of characters or personas to help express himself. Aladdin Sane, the Thin White Duke, and of course, Ziggy Stardust. So if we don't even know David Bowie that well, why are we so sad? What is it about him that spoke to us? Those are all great questions, Nick. And while this week's show is leaping off of the tragic passing of David Bowie, it is not a show about him. It is about us, all of us. You know? To quote a great observation made by at Elusive J on Twitter, thinking about how we mourn artists we've never met. We don't cry because we knew them. We cry because they helped us know ourselves. So what can we learn about ourselves through this event? this man. We're talking about authenticity, being your true self in both your inner life and your external actions. I'd say that's what was compelling about David Bowie. Despite the costumes and the characters, he was authentically representing elements of himself, and we could feel that. And while we can't say we've cracked the entire code, there are definitely some interesting ideas to consider. Ideas that could make a dramatic difference in your daily life, your business, and in your relationships with those around you. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we bow our heads and tip our hat to the great David Bowie. 
and use his example to explore authenticity. What is it and how do we become more authentic? Also in a special dig segment, Nick and I discuss our favorite David Bowie songs. My name is Brett Gaida, his name is Nick Jaworski. Let's start the show. cards on the table. At first, I was resistant to the idea that authenticity should be the theme of this episode. Authenticity has become so overused in our modern lives, you know, from business to marketing to art, and I I just didn't know if I wanted to get involved with it. But the more we looked into what it means to be authentic, the more I realized that there was something there. My initial hesitance to the topic really isn't about authenticity itself. It's about how people use the term authentic. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. It feels like those who talk about being authentic are really misrepresenting the concept, to put it lightly. For example, let's take the term authentic marketing and break it down. The dictionary defines authentic as true to one's own personality, spirit, or character. And it defines marketing as the process or technique of promoting, selling, and distributing a product or service. So, authentic marketing would be being true to your character as you promote and sell your product or service. However, as is often the case in business and marketing, Buzzwords like this get overused to the point of misuse and eventually lose their meaning altogether. I mean, also see innovation, synergy, low-hanging fruit, high-level, and outside-the-box as examples. I've said Jiminy Jilliker so many times the words have lost all meaning! While there are certainly marketers and companies out there being true to themselves, If you do a search for articles on authentic marketing, you'll see titles like A Six-Step Strategy for Staying True to Your Story. And its advice includes Sell yourself as an underdog, don't evoke pity, and Avoid creating envy. But do we really need a strategy to be authentic? Is a series of tricks and tips really the best way to express our true self? A Forbes article on authentic content marketing called Three Ways to Keep It Real states, it's easy to be authentic when you truly understand your customers and their most pressing concerns. With that understanding, authenticity comes naturally. Now, I'm not saying all of that isn't great advice. Knowing your customer is absolutely key to communicating with them, influencing them, and building loyalty. I just don't see how that has anything to do with being authentic. Which leads us to another problem. Do we really know what authenticity is? It turns out that in various academic fields, what authenticity is, isn't fully settled. In addition to our dictionary definition, we can also look to existentialism for another take on it. According to knower of all things and friend of the show Wikipedia, In existentialism, authenticity is the degree to which one is true to one's own personality, spirit, or character, despite external pressures. And so after reading that, I don't see how understanding others, in this case your customers, helps you to be more authentic. So much of what is written about authentic marketing or business seems to be instructing us on how to seem authentic as opposed to just being it. 
So it's not surprising that some might have developed a bitter taste for the word. Don't you want a little taste of the glory? See what it tastes like. No. But let's not let the corporate world take authenticity away from us. There's still a lot here that has real value. Whatever our authentic selves are, and we will get to that in a bit, I think we can all agree that it is not, or dare I say should not, be based on who we think others want us to be or what will resonate with them. Here's David Bowie talking about that idea in his interview from the Joe Smith Collection. A lot of people that I know are bugged with the idea that the audience, they've got to have an audience, they've got to be liked. And uh, I think the more that you get fall into that trap, it makes your own life harder to come to terms with. Because an audience appreciation is only going to be periodic at the best of times. You'll fall in and out of favour continually. I don't think it should be something one should be looking for. I think you should turn around at the end of the day and say, I really like that piece of work. Or that piece of work sucked. Not, was that popular or wasn't it popular? As we talked about in our taste episode, whether you like something or not is subjective. However, for many of us, what resonates about great art is it feels authentic. You know, going back to that dictionary definition, it feels true to the artist's personality or character. And so I think when we experience art that comes from inside an artist, like David Bowie's work often did, that work resonates with us. And even if we don't like it, we say things like, well, it's not really my taste, but I respect what he or she is doing a lot. And I think the word respect is a recognition and acknowledgement of authenticity. And lots of people respected David Bowie. Here is what musician Midgeur shared about him on Good Morning Britain after his death. Well, it's, it's, it's the fact that, you know, he, he was fearless. Uh, he didn't care, or didn't seem to care, if, uh, if his projects, uh, you know, were huge successes or, or fell between the cracks and the floor. Uh, and because he did that, because he didn't listen to what was going on and, 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 and you know, succumb to the pressures around him to, to come up with hits, after hit, after hit, it consistently made great music, and great music infiltrates and stays with us forever. The thing is that being authentic, it's, it's hard. That's why what David Bowie did throughout his career was so fascinating to watch. Research shows that people weigh the need to feel authentic against the need for social approval. In a study from 2007, Professor Alexis Francis showed that people who place a high value on social approval demonstrate lower levels of authentic behavior. So there's a lot to balance. As Dr. Philip Vanini and Alexis Francis wrote in 2008, quote, social life is made of compromises, deals, and negotiations. And authenticity, as virtuous as it may seem, cannot be exempt from the need to strike a balance between ideal and necessity. As people, we negotiate our interactions with others for a variety of reasons, either because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings or because we don't want our boss to yell at us. Whatever the reason, the point is that doing authenticity is an action. It's something that we have to choose to do. And while this may sound strange, there are some good reasons that we would choose not to be authentic 100% of the time. I agree, Nick. I mean, this is a difficult thing to do, especially consistently. You know, and in that, I think it is important to clarify what we are trying to do. If we go back to that Wikipedia quote, 
It also provides us with a valuable qualifier for authenticity. It says that authenticity is the degree to which one is true to one's own personality, spirit, or character. And so it is not a battle of absolutes with you know, authenticity in one corner and inauthenticity in the other. There are degrees of both. And one could argue it is impossible to achieve absoluteness in either. I think it's impossible, ridiculous, and insane. And this is where I've often had an issue with how people use the word authentic. They seem to describe it as a destination, a place you can get to. You are being authentic or not. And if you are, then you are being your true self. But is that even a thing? Dr. Frank Monahan of The Open University said about David Bowie, he seems to have seen identity as something constantly on the horizon of our perception, always becoming, never merely being, an arrival that always included its departure. When the kids had killed a man, I had to break out the And in his 1976 Playboy interview with Cameron Crowe, Bowie said, I realized I had become a total product of my concept character, Ziggy Stardust. So I set out on a very successful crusade to reestablish my own identity. I stripped myself down and took myself apart layer by layer. Ziggy played guitar. Bowie seemed to be more interested in who he could be than who he was. Or maybe it was that he was exploring who he could be to see what felt the best, you know, trying to catch a glimpse. So I turned myself to face me, but I've never caught a glimpse of how the others must see the faker. I'm much too fast to take that test. You know, it's interesting, Brett. David Bowie wasn't just a musician. He was an artist known for his flair, his constant reinvention, and his performances. He wasn't just David Bowie. He was Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane and the Thin White Duke. Each presentation of David Bowie, for lack of a better word, is true. And this idea, the idea that we can present different versions of ourselves, well, that fits perfectly within Irving Goffman's theory on human interaction. For most of us, most days, we have an endless stream of interactions with other people. Verbal, nonverbal, physical, digital. And in his book, The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life, Irving Goffman suggests that we can understand all of these interactions through the lens of a theatrical production. Basically, the idea is that all of our interactions with others are essentially a performance. Uh, uh, Brett, I know you're a trained thespian, so would you mind reading this excerpt from Shakespeare? Well, if you are referring to my rousing turn as Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors in 1990, then yes, I am a thespian. Yep, works for me. Yeah, just read the highlighted part right there. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. 
and one man in his time plays many parts. Acting! The sociologist Irving Goffman took these lines from As You Like It very seriously. In his dramaturgical account of human interaction, he argued that we display a series of masks to others, enacting roles, controlling and staging how we appear, ever concerned with how we are coming across, constantly trying to set ourselves in the best light. The theory gets more in-depth than that, but basically... We perform different roles depending on who we are talking to. We don't talk to our children the same way we talk to our boss. Um, um, do you want me to, to kiss it and make it better? I... What? <laughs> no, I'm an adult man. And we don't talk to our partner the same way we talk to a stranger. <laughs> Perhaps this is most obvious when you're hanging out with a buddy from work and then you run into your sister-in-law out in public. You know, there's that strange moment when you have to balance how you talk to both of them and sort of make it work. So that can be very, very awkward. And that's what Goffman is talking about. The thing is that, according to Goffman, none of these performances are authentic. They don't actually capture the true self. But they're not necessarily inauthentic either. In fact, all of these masks add up to something close to our authentic self. Goffman says, quote, the self is a product of all of these arrangements and in all of its parts bears the marks of this genesis. As we said, you know, so many people from all walks of life were impacted by David Bowie during his life and wrote about him after his death. Dr. Mark White wrote a personal remembrance in Psychology Today saying, to a young weirdo who never fit in, Bowie said to me, who cares? Be who you want to be. He was my existential teacher years before I knew what existentialism was. He taught me that the only thing that was weird was worrying about being weird. Once you get over that, you're free to recreate yourself as the person you want to be, a process that never stops. And in his piece, Why David Bowie is Important to Me, Creative writing professor Will Wilkinson suggests that Bowie's version of authenticity is a sensibility, quote, which regulates the style in which you perform yourself, but leaves open the question, maybe even sets aside the question, of who you really are, unquote. When I read that, I felt like Will had put my feelings into words. I've spent a lot of time in my life trying to figure out who I am so I can try to be that person. And as I stared at the ceiling one morning, thinking of David Bowie and writing this episode in my head, it occurred to me how both exhausting and impossible that is. It's a fallacy, you know, impossible to reach. It's like deciding you're gonna sail to the horizon but no matter how hard you paddle, or fast you go, or focused you get, it will continue to move away from you. You will never get there. And so perhaps a better journey, or a more accurate journey, is not to try and figure out the answer to who am I, but to just decide each day who we want to be and work on being that person.
You know, during our interview for our Willpower episode, I asked psychologist Kelly McGonigal if she could share one piece of advice with our audience, and she knew they would take it to heart, what would it be? Every day when you wake up, ask yourself what matters most to you. I do that before I get out of bed every morning. It takes 30 seconds. And research shows that when you connect to your most important goals and values, it changes the trajectory of your day. It changes the choices that you make and the way that you interpret even the challenges that you face. And maybe that is authenticity. You know, not a destination or a definition of self, but a conviction and a consciousness of self. And at risk of offending the honor of Miriam and Webster, I am partial to think that authenticity is a verb, not a noun. That authenticity is not something you are, it is something you do. And something that if it matters to you, you must work at doing every moment, every day, you know, knowing that you will fail often, knowing that the closest you'll ever get to being or knowing who you are is to be conscious of the version of yourself that you want to play each day. And so every day we turn and face the strange. We turn and face ourselves to face the truest version of ourself that we can muster. And yeah, you know, sometimes it's complicated or messy or difficult or strange, but there is no other way to do it. There is no other way to be our most authentic selves without facing it straight on. Hey everybody, it's Nick, and before we go to the dig section proper, uh, I just wanted to quickly talk about David Bowie's last video that came out called Lazarus and the album Black Star that came out two days before he died. And if you haven't had a chance, a lot of people have listened and watched. I mean, it's the number one album uh, in America and the UK. But if you haven't watched it or if you've only watched it once, go back and watch it again because, you know, here's a man who, as we talked about in this show, spent a career sort of writing stories for characters he created and perhaps here at the very end of his life as he's struggling with cancer and treatment he comes up with this just this dark and yet honest piece of work and that video for Lazarus you know we look at it now right now that we know that he was sick and we go of course he was sick but he he dropped it on us and, and I didn't hear anyone saying like oh is David Bowie okay you know what's happening you know it's just this staggering artistic statement you know some people have said well he turned his death into art and I don't think that's right I think you know he used his death as a tool to make something else and I, I keep saying the word staggering over and over again to people 
Because and it's a word I never use, but I just think that this thing that David Bowie managed to do, he managed to keep this a secret so he could so that I mean he's private, but also so that he could have this artistic moment. I just find it just so incredible, and I think it's something that you should all definitely check out. So it's kind of a dig. We wanted to put it in the show, it didn't quite fit, but I, I think it's something special and worth sort of noting right here. So go check out David Bowie's Lazarus and his album Black Star. And uh, now it's time for digs. Hey everyone, this is Brett. And this is Nick. And uh, this is everyone's favorite segment. I'm still going to say that now. Yeah, yeah. Because I still think it is. You know, the WTS bumps has got to have a few more segments before it can get into the conversation. But uh, So everyone's favorite segment, WTS Digs. And uh, this is where Nick and I uh, talk about what we're digging at the moment. Now, usually, um, this is, you know, whatever we're listening to now or uh, using now or experiencing now. But in this case, because this episode was formulated around David Bowie, we decided to do something a little different. And each of us are going to talk about what our favorite David Bowie song is. So what is the David Bowie song that we dig the most? So, Nick, what's yours? Well, it's... uh... It may not be the most like alt or cool or hipster. Uh, in fact, it's probably one of his better known songs. But my, it's, it's uh, one of my favorite songs is uh, "Under Pressure," which of course is David Bowie and Queen. A couple of fun facts about "Under Pressure," just because I bothered to look this up is that it actually was a different song that Queen was was working on before David Bowie came to the studio. And then he took mm. over the song lyrically and uh, also is credited with refining the famous bass line that we all know. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, so good job, David Bowie. And what I love about the song is that it takes its time to really build up. And it's a song about sort of modern life and these pressures we feel. Um, but then it really sort of has this, turn at the bridge where it opens up and really talks about you know the way to possibly cope with that idea would be to would be to love each other collectively and to make sense of it to make sense of this world that way but also acknowledging that that's so it's an old-fashioned romantic word and what does that even mean in today's world um but we've got one more chance it's just it's just if you really like blast it and, and sit with it it just feels so good so under pressure <laughs> some point in here i'm sure i played a clip of it uh, that's Did my, you? Oh, that was a great clip. I yeah, really it was a great it. clip. So that, that's my pick. Uh, Brett, what Bowie song are you digging? Well, kind of similar to you, Nick. I mean, I have to say that, you know, my uh, my pick is, is is not alt cool hipster either, probably. Uh, and interestingly, it's from later in, you know, this in David Bowie's career, which from an album standpoint, I do love his earlier albums. I do love Ziggy and and Ziggy Stardust was actually a close second uh, for my favorite Bowie song. Uh, but my actual like my favorite Bowie song, the song that just fills me up when I hear it. It always makes me happy. I love so much about it is Modern Love. And uh, unlike you, I did not do a bunch of research, though I don't have a bunch of cool facts to share, except to just share like my personal experience of the song. So, um, you know, I've always dug it in high school. Uh, my buddy Des and I did that. Uh, we had like a, I don't know if it was a talent show or what it was, but we, it was just him and I. It was him playing acoustic guitar with like a four-track tape machine doing beats and all kinds of weird stuff. And I was doing costume changes between like every song because I somehow thought that was a cool thing to do. And uh, we did a version of Modern Love with just basically 
a drum machine and acoustic guitar that rocked the house. I always remember it. Uh, you know, it didn't have the sax, which is a great part of the song also, but um, it's just one of my favorite songs, favorite song to sing, favorite song to listen to. You know, it was, re- it, was re- uh, it was featured recently in Frances Ha, and there's a great scene in that where she's running through New York, and it kind of has that to it too. Like, you can almost imagine a million montages, you know, to Modern Love because it just has that, you know, that those emotions and those feels in it. So, yeah, that's like by far, if we're just talking about the song you put on, that just makes it go, yes. Uh, for me, it's, <laughs> it's, it's Modern Love. Is that the same Des of uh, our theme song? Yes. Nice connection. I should have made that connection. Yes. The same Des McKinney who wrote our theme song. We've been uh, friends all the way since high school. So, Aww. Well, that's, that's a good, it's a good one. There's all kinds of great Bowie tracks. And if you out there have your favorites and want to share them with us, of course, you can always tweet us at ExploreWTS. Uh, if you've got anything else you're digging, please let us know on Twitter. And uh, yeah, thanks. Big love to all our Patreon supporters and those of you who joined me for a special one-year anniversary dinner in Vancouver last week. It is always awesome to meet up with listeners, and on this occasion, to break bread with all of you was extra special. Hey, if you want to hear the story behind the story of Where There's Smoke, Nick and I did a rare interview together and dished all the details on episode 74 of the Podcast Digest. Hear what host Dan Lizette calls the greatest origin story of a show ever. Special thanks to Zena Bob Arasut in the UK for capturing the Midjura audio for us, which we could not access here in North America. And thank you to Jesse Broughton for giving Where There's Smoke a shout-out on episode 26 of the TDI podcast. And speaking of shout-outs, hey, let's do some. I mean, why not? For spreading the word on Twitter, thank you Tim Banos, Patrick Keller, StoryWeb, Jessica Miranda, Life Guides, Catherine Mossman, Virgo Clarity, Anthony Lee, Erica Robbins, Stacey Menz, The Audio Signal, and Jiu-Jitsu Matrix, and iTunes Reviews. Uh, um, nada. Zilch, none. We had zero this week. That's nula. Null. Nietzsche. Zero. Now, while in tennis, that is love, in our world, not so much. Now look, we know many of you have given us great reviews, so thank you. And if you haven't yet, we get it's a bit of work, but I promise you it makes a bigger difference than you can imagine. I mean, just this week, we got an opportunity because someone checked our reviews and was so impressed with all of your words. So please, if you haven't yet, head over to iTunes and write a review. Plus, it's our one-year anniversary coming up, and I'm pretty sure the traditional one-year gift is an iTunes review. So there you go. Okay, Where There's Smoke is created in its entirety, from conception to birth by me, Brett Gaida, and Nick Jaworski. The theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Hey, Nick, what other music artists were featured in this show? This week, we had music from Lisa Germano, Poddington Bear, Jazar, Blue Dot Sessions, James Joshua Otto, Kevin McLeod, and of course, David Bowie. You want to work with us, have us speak, give us feedback, send an email to connect at wherethersmoke.co and check out Nick's company at podcastmonster.com. To join our mailing list on your phone, text the word SMOKE to 66866 or go to our website wherethersmoke.co. While there, you can also leave us a voicemail, which is pretty cool. And finally, we are going to end today's show with the voice of a man, now a star man. This is a long-distance dedication going out to him wherever he is. Ziggy playing guitar.
Thanks for everything, David. And to you, the listener, thanks for listening. We love you, and we'll see you next week. Hey, guys, it's me, Nick. We had a little extra time here at the end of the show, so I figured I'd leave a little message. Brett doesn't even know I'm doing this. This is just our super secret whisper club. So for those of you who listened to the whole show, I hope you liked it. And we didn't really talk about it a lot, but you can always go support the show at www.supportwts.com. That's where we're hanging out. <laughs> anyway, so on Twitter, if you see me, go ahead and send me um, send me just a smiley face, but don't tell Brett about it, okay? <laughs> I know you're going to be cute and you're going to want to tell him, but don't tell him. Thanks so much. See you guys next week.